This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. a very special episode of A Change in Attitude in conjunction with uh, Radio Techers and Chairshot Media Network. Um, I am Ori the Draw, and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Kevin Kelly, so let's get right into it. Hello, Kevin. How are you today? I'm good, Ori. How are you? I am wonderful. I am excited. And let's get right into this. So the first thing I want to ask you is, how did you actually get into wrestling? What was the road that kind of, what was something that you saw that went, I want to be a part of this? Oh, when I was nine years old uh, and I we moved to Florida and they finally, we didn't have uh, cable in New York. So I'd never heard of it before. So they're hooking up cable in my place in florida and uh so the guy finishes on saturday and uh it was the same tv from new york turn it on and wait for the picture to warm up but uh i hear the sound and the sound i was hearing was gordon Soley uh and championship wrestling from florida and i was hooked and that was what i wanted to do ever since So how did you actually get involved with it? Because I did see um, if Wikipedia is to be trusted that you went from DJ to ring announcer to a manager. Well, no, not really. Not that, you know, the, but basically I was, I was working, I was a DJ at a radio station, an oldie station down in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, and a local promoter called. Uh, the radio station and said, Hey, I'm promoting wrestling at the County fair. And I see you guys are at the County fair. Would anybody at the station like to rig announce? And so I got asked and I of course wanted to do it. And uh, that man was a great friend of mine. Just recently passed away named Cliff Anderson. And he actually got me, I worked for him for a while and he got me set up with my first TV gig. And that was kind of how I got my start. So it was fate. It was luck. But, you know, everything that you put forward, you put out, you get back. So I think I was always just sort of destined to do this. Awesome. So I know that you started out in WCW and then had a little help getting over to, at the time, WWF. And I want to talk about that a little bit because one of the other shows that we do, um, myself and my friends Mags and Tanner, is a change in attitude where we go back starting at 1996 King of the Ring and look at 
the attitude era, you know, with a modern eye, is it as good as we remember or is it nostalgia? And um, one of the things that I want to talk about is uh, a match that we covered recently about trying to do commentary during uh, Razor Ramon and Savio Vega with J.R. King and Gorilla Monsoon. And we never promised you, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and that entire angle. What was that like? Well, I was just getting you know, kind of adjusted to being, you know, part of that announced team. And it was uh, just a very unsettling feeling. Um, I, I felt like, you know, because JR was combative with uh, the with me as an announcer because of the role that he was playing. So he wasn't quite the mentor that I needed him to be at that point. Um, and it was, and I just got the sense that the crowd was kind of farting on it and that it wasn't very good, but it was what it was. So, uh, yeah, it was tough. And, you know, like Monsoon's there and he's arguing and I'm, I'm trying to play peacekeeper and keep the boat going straight. And I was still pretty green. So it was, it was a lot, a lot to handle. Sure. And that's one thing that we've kind of noticed through this rewatch of watching all the Raws and pay-per-views that some of the matches were great and some of them were not so great. And to a point where at that time, the commentary would overtake what was actually happening in the ring and it would actually become more entertaining than the match in and of itself was that you know, Vince and Gorilla saying, hey, this match is not as good as I thought it would be, you know, kind of go or, you know, or, or what? There, or was very there was very little direction. Like, for example, when Taz jumped over the barricade, holding up the Sabu sign, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Sabu fears Taz. I didn't know anything about that. I had no idea it was going to happen. Vince liked the organic reaction, so he got one. Um you know, and it was just was uh, it was it, it at the time WWF was not where it got to be nor where it is now financially. And they were, you know, they had been through a series of sort of like partnerships. They worked for a little bit with Smoky Mountain. Uh, then it was ECW. And so it, and this was as the well, this is. Yeah, because this is. So Bash at the Beach happened in July. Hogan turns heel. The NWO starts running wild. And Vince is trying to fight for his business's life. So it led to a lot of rash decisions. He had a great vehicle to tell his side of the story. And, and if you look at it in terms of here's a man in Vince who is trying to defend what he believes is his, um, and so there were a lot of like inside references, but it was almost like he was making a case in the court of public opinion. Right. Hmm. Very interesting. So one of the most infamous storylines that you were a part of was the Pillman's got a gun. So I have to ask about that. Um, uh, Tell us a little bit about the storyline, what it was like to be involved, and how was it to work with both Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Pillman? The story of Pillman and Austin came about because uh, Brian Pillman was, you know, still still dealing with the after effects of his car accident. Right. And so Steve Austin attacks him 
And as the term became a wrestling standard now, it's a it's an industry term. He pilmanized uh, Brian's leg. So Brian had to have more surgery. And then Steve said, I'm not done with you. I'm going to come to your house and get you. So they dispatched intrepid reporter Kevin Kelly to go cover the, you know, impending home invasion. And, you know, home invasions may have been done before in wrestling, and they certainly have been done since. But as far as my recollection, it was either the first or one of the first. Um, That made it very exciting. And it was always a thrill getting to work with Steve and Brian because they were both brilliant in their own way and uh, just completely consumed with uh, what they were doing. So there wasn't a lot of chatter that day. There wasn't a lot of direction given. It was just sort of read and react. Um, And it turned out to be just this white knuckle ride where now, geez, 25 years later, people still talk about it. Every time I'm interviewed, I'm asked about it. Uh, and, and it's funny or because as I'm telling the story, like I'm feeling that, you know, that same, like kind of knot in my stomach, that tightness in my chest. It was so prevalent that day because it was a, it was a weird scene. You know, Brian was because of his, uh, leg being so bad, you know, like things in the yard weren't taken care of. And it was just like wow, this is, this is as real as it gets, you know, and Steve coming in the back door, breaking the window and Brian brandishing the gun and poor Melody there, how to try to make sense of it all. It was like, I'm hiding under the dining room table, you know, with it's with me, went back to me later on. I didn't know where to be. I'm going to just hide just in case. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good place to me. It's just out of the line and out of the room. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably should have, you know, they didn't have Uber back then. I probably should have called a cab and got the hell out of there. But, you know, nevertheless. So I want to move on to some New Japan real quick because we are right in the middle of the, it, to, in my opinion, one of the biggest things of the near, uh, of the year for New Japan, the G1 Climax Tournament, four weeks of amazing wrestling. Um, and I didn't get into New Japan until two or three years ago. And I really have to not only credit the wrestlers that are there and that have been there, but you and your relationship with Don Callis on commentary, you guys really helped, you know, pull me into it. And I, I personally think that that commentary has been part of the factor in that push to the um, Western market into the United States. How did that partnership with you working with new Japan come about? It started when working with New Japan started when uh, they partnered with Ring of Honor on some shows in, I think it was starting in 2014. Uh, and I was the, the Ring of Honor announcer at the time. So once, uh, once we got that deal done, then, uh, okay, so now we're going to introduce New Japan wrestlers to uh, the Western audience, to the Ring of Honor audience. And I found out that the Ring of Honor fans not only knew who Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, and all the stars of New Japan were, but there were a lot more fans of New Japan than Ring of Honor. So it was always very beneficial box office-wise. You know, every venue sold out and the people are just going crazy. Uh, And then of 20, so that was starting in like, what, May of 
2014, I think. And then the next, the next year continued. And uh, at the time, then they started New Japan World. So they wanted to have English commentary. And, and since I was already here with who they were and what, what they were doing, it was, uh, they, they asked me if I wanted to be part of the project. And I said, absolutely. It's been wonderful, and I absolutely enjoy it. But one thing that I've heard wrestlers talk about, about the differences between wrestling in the United States versus Japan, is the out the audience itself, how they're used to it, it being so loud. And Japan is much more subdued until something really excites them. What was that difference like for you as a, as a commentator coming to Japan? And what do you feel are the differences in working in the United States market versus uh, Japan? I thought the same thing, actually, that the crowds were more subdued. And I actually found it to be not as different. So that was one of the misconceptions that I had going in, is that it was going to be more like a golf crowd. But they they make noise in a different way. Yeah. So they individually scream the wrestlers' names. There's no chanting. Um, it, it's a different, it's a much classier audience. There's no bad language. <laughs> um, you know, well. the, the wrestlers swear like sailors, but you can, you know, <laughs> in terms of the audience members, you don't have to worry about having beer dumped on your head and your kids learning a bunch of new words from the people sitting around you. Uh, so it, it's a little less like a rock and roll show, like you can be in the United States and a little more like a um a, a play and but there are times of course that they get completely invested and they're losing their minds especially as the match builds to a crescendo and you know of course now with covid one of the things that we're seeing is that, that you know it's a request not an order it's a request new japan requesting that the audience does not scream and shout so uh they clap thunder sticks and they clap their hands and stomp their feet and, and that builds as the match is going on, as they're getting caught in the roller coaster ride of physical emotion. Uh, the, the clapping gets louder and the pace gets quicker uh, and the intensity is building as they're inching closer to the edges of their seats because they know that the end of the match could come at any moment. So uh, it's, a, it's a different sound certainly now and it was a different sound like when fans were, you know, pre-COVID, but um in terms of it being less loud uh no it's loud loud and it's awesome it very much is so the one thing that i was thinking about today because i was catching up on the g1 and in looking doing a change in attitude when you're thinking about 1996 and where the wwf was there was a distinctive shift but from the superhero larger than life characters to maybe still larger than life, but not quite superhero comic book type, more of an everyman relatable. However, over in New Japan, there still seems to be a lot of pageantry and superhero and anime style characters like Taichi, Sonata, Evil, and even I would say Hiroshi Tanahashi. And it still really works, even in the American market. Why do you think this works so well in Japan where it doesn't so much work over here in the United States anymore? It doesn't work in the United States because the United States wrestling promoters said we need something different. Uh, 
The anti-hero is good and bad. Stone Cold Steve Austin was an amazing anti-hero. But not every show and not every promotion needs has a Stone Cold Steve Austin. What made him so unique is that he spoke out against the establishment. And he raged against, you know, the corporate structure of America and the blue-collar man being held down. He was so relatable to everybody. But most wrestling promoters in America don't have a clue what they're doing and therefore said, we need to have a bald-headed guy with cut-off jeans and swagger and flipping middle fingers on every show. And the wrestlers themselves saw Steve getting over and were like, well, I can lose my hair. I can just shave my head. I can grow a goatee and I can hit the stunner. It's more than that. It's way more than that. Um, Japan still has very much of a superhero culture, as as you mentioned. Anime is still very popular. Tanahashi definitely influenced by manga, like uh, Kamen Rider is part of his costuming, you know. And so many of the characters, Jushin Thunder Lager, Tiger Mask, they were ripped from the pages of manga. Uh, Ibushi takes influence from uh, several different characters, including Shinsuke Nakamura and Tanahashi. Uh, everyone is unique and different in their own way, uh, and they fight for something. So when they fight for something, that's where some of that hero presentation can come from. Where they lost the plot in America is, since nothing mattered anymore, titles were just props, nobody's really fighting for anything so how could you be a hero if you're not fighting for anything other than just yourself and to do moves? Uh, there are still superhero efforts, superheroic efforts, and certainly larger-than-life characters, but it's, it's different. And it's one of the reasons why um, American promotions have struggled to gain a foothold with the audience. They lost the audience and they don't know where they went after the Attitude Era. And then they were settling for scraps, whereas WWE just, you know, dominated the marketplace on the national stage. Because they've been so moribund for so long, something new and fresh comes along like AEW, and immediately people gravitate toward it, towards it. Even though it may have its faults, it's at least exciting and different. And, it, it, you know, people are energized by that. Oh, this is what it's like to feel good and being entertained watching wrestling again. Um, but but it's always been something that's consistent with New Japan. Uh, they really haven't, you know, lost the plot in that regard. It's a little different now with COVID, with smaller crowds and without the Western stars to be as loud and larger in life as they have been. But uh I think once everything changes and the world opens back up, we'll see a return to that. So speaking of AEW, I think one other thing that helped um, expand New Japan into the Western market was, of course, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and them producing their content on YouTube with BTE and growing interest. Is there any reason we never saw you on BTE? I was on one episode of BTE. Where are you? Actually, yes, I was at a, uh, a Chiba Lote Marines game, and I was with the Marines uh, fan club president, who I I 
asked a question. He answered in Japanese. And I said, uh, can you please translate? And he said, the revival. <laughs> There's been a lot of episodes and I will say I've seen them all, but I, I honestly did not remember that one. So I apologize. Little but- little cutscene, perhaps. But it was... <laughs> um, those were always being done while I'm working. <laughs> They're backstage I mean, running important. around and announcing matches. So what uh, what are your thoughts on the now infamous Kaze Ni Nare incident in AEW? Hey, good for Minoru Suzuki, right? He got an extra booking and an extra payday out of it. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. And so it, it's yeah, it's part of the it, it it's again it's a part of the power of the presentation. And the extremely knowledgeable fan base that through repetition, see, this is another thing that WWE has failed to realize. One of the ways you build a wrestling audience and the way you build wrestling personas to become memorable is through repetition. It's why radio works. It's a jingle. It's the same thing. They change everybody so quickly that, People forget. They don't remember. Wait, who is he now? Is he good? No, he was good. But now he's changed? Oh, okay. The The presentation of New Japan is pretty consistent. And the same theme, same entrance, and it's a hook. And it's rememberable. It's memorable. Uh, and we always made a big deal out of laying out for that part of the song. And you hear the crowd chant it. And then the music fades down and the match begins usually with a jump start. So it's not surprising that people were so enraged. How dare they? And and Tony's great because he, he recognizes the audience. He knows his audience. And he's like, Oh, I have to bring it back. So (laughs) I got to have a make good. Yeah. And and it was, it's the whole thing has been amazing really to me. Um, But speaking of other AEW wrestlers in new Japan, we've seen a lot of back and forth on Twitter between the good brothers and Tama Tonga and Tongaloa. And now we've got the forbidden door opening. Do you think we will see that tag match between these two? Because I'd like to see it. I think we will. Uh, We're probably more likely to see it in the U S than in Japan. Um, and and I think that uh, that could happen sooner rather than later. I think the the forbidden door uh, hasn't been completely knocked off of its hinges, um, and it's not locked anymore. Um, it's not come and go as you please, but uh, if you know the secret knock, you can you can pass through. Um, it so it, I think as time will go on, as the you know, COVID uh, situation eases up in terms of getting people in and out of the countries. I think it will um, become more likely that you could see uh, AEW wrestlers competing, you know, on select New Japan events. I, I I don't really see them like being here all the time. It would be, you know, difficult for several of them to do the G1 Climax tournament, for example, but special events like Wrestle Kingdom Dominion? Sure, absolutely. So with that door being cracked and the possibility of that match happening on Dynamite or Rampage, either way here in the U.S., would you be open to commentating with AEW maybe being reunited with Excalibur and Jim Ross? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. I would love to to work with those guys. They've got about 17 announcers, I think. (laughs) I lost count. So I, 
I, if they had a spare headset and a little room at the table, you know, maybe I could, I could fit in. Um, they, I think they do a fine job and, uh, they're, they're familiar voices to their audience. I'm a familiar voice to this audience. So I don't really, uh, you know, I don't really see like this big, uh, Oh, if Kevin was there, all these AEW fans would just, uh, throw the babies in the air. I don't, I don't think so. Um, but you know, again, it would be pretty cool. It would be neat to do, and I think the I think some fans would enjoy it. I think some fans would dig it. Um, and again, just showing that the two companies are working together, I would absolutely if it if it helped, you know, lead lead to more business, no doubt. Yeah, I think it would definitely be an, an amazing thing, and I would be super hyped hyped and pumped about it. Um, are there any particular wrestlers that you'd like to see in New Japan, or some dream matches that you would like to watch as a fan or call as a commentator? Well, obviously, Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. would be first coming to mind, as now Brian Danielson is—he's uh, not even the best wrestler in his own category, according to the Wrestling Observer <laughs> Year-End Awards, and he said that. It made me laugh, and and Zach threw a little shot across the bow at, at uh, Brian as well. So uh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, I would love to see, you know, uh, CM Punk. I would love to see the Young Bucks return. I would love to see Kenny return. I'd love to see Darby Allen. You know, imagine like Darby Allen versus Hiromu. You know, I mean that's like, wow. Um, I think. There's there's so many different dream matches that you can think of. It's the possibilities are endless, and they don't have to all be done at once. This can last over several years, and as fan interest changes, as new stars are made, uh, we'll continue to see that. I I think that with the amount of AEW television that there is, I think there there's a a good opportunity and i hope they can take advantage of it to maybe get the young lions in the la dojo a little bit more experience um that was you know i i could see that because they're they're back wrestling on live events now out in the west coast but if they're if they can do more television that's always going to be beneficial for them work with more experienced guys see what their production is like that's the that's what excursion is all about they're supposed to uh, see the style of wrestling in the con- in the countries that they go to, and I think that AEW is a pretty good environment for it showing exactly what uh, you know an American television wrestling show is like. Sure. So I have some questions from some friends, but before we get to those, I want to ask you something that has been bounced around quite a bit. Um, as someone who was there for the Monday Night Wars, there's a lot of talk on the internet wrestling community about a war between AEW and WWE and people taking sides. Do you feel that there is a war or should there even be one? Because I feel like we're in a very special time, a a renaissance where we have more access now to wrestling than we ever have. And it's so enjoyable and so wonderful. It's like, why should, why pick? Let's just enjoy everything. Right. Um, I think that it's, made more of than it really is. I always look at friends of mine who are wrestling fans, but are not necessarily on the internet all day. What do they think? And I have friends of mine, they have three kids. 
two uh, preteen girls and like a ten, nine or ten year old boy, and they love WWE. And they went to the a recent event in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and they had a great time. But I think they wouldn't know who or what AEW is. I just don't think they've ever been. They've ever seen it. I don't think they've ever been exposed to it. They know WWE. Um, another friend of mine who is like always been like a dyed in the wool WWE fan is sort of looking at it, but it's not the same. And and he liked guys like Triple H and Mick Foley. So there's a little bit of that nostalgia there, but it hasn't caught on with him yet. Um, I think that the rabid, passionate, super fan base immediately gravitated towards AEW because they've been dying for something new and fresh. And, and as we've seen the ratings going up slowly, incrementally, you know, ratings move at a glacial pace and it takes a long time for an audience to grow. Um, in terms of the finger pointing and the us versus them, I think that's kind of, it's, it's overplayed. Um, because if you gave, if you offered 10 wrestling fans uh, two tickets to both WWE and AEW. I have a feeling that all 10 would go to both and they would like or dislike it based upon the quality of the show that they went to. Um, so I, I don't see anybody going, I hate AEW because I'm loyal. I see people saying, I don't understand AEW yet. It's, I was in sales for a number of years, Ori, when I, when I was doing Ring of Honor. And no doesn't mean no in sales. No means I need more information. So I think when fans go, uh, I'm, I'm fully supporting WWE and I don't get this whole AEW thing. Well, they're not a hater. They're not anti-AEW. They're just wanting more information about it. They just need to be exposed. So that takes time. And those people will eventually be exposed to it and they will either like it or dislike it based upon what they've seen, but not necessarily through, uh, you know, WWE lenses. But like my friends, you know, those girls, uh, they dig Roman Reigns. You know what I mean? So they're going to need there's going to be need to be some hunky guys on AEW to, to match up with Roman Reigns. And he's a he's a tough act to follow. Well, I mean, Adam Page is back, so there's an option. At least, but he's me. an alcoholic, and I, I, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want those girls yeah, looking. You got that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe once we clear up all this business with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and what's really going on here, he'll he'll change his ways. Maybe. Oh, I will tell you this: that my wife, who I've been with now for thirty years, hates wrestling, hates it, and I've tried to get her to watch on many different occasions. I'll put on an Okada Tanahashi match and I'll say, you should watch this because it's one of the most amazing matches ever. And five minutes in, she's back looking at her tablet. Okay. But the one that gets her to lower her glasses and look at the screen, Adam Cole. Oh, baby. And I said, Oh, you weren't home at one time that Adam Cole came over to the house and we jumped in the car together and went on the road for ring of honor. She's like, he was in our house. Yes. <laughs> That's Why didn't you tell me you were you were doing something? That's amazing. <laughs> so I I think that 
you know, again, that the CM Punk Brian Danielson fan, that's going to draw in some. Um, Adam Cole being, you know, being Adam Cole and being now on that show, it, I, I think NXT fans are going to jump right over and watch AEW. That doesn't mean they're going to stop watching NXT because NXT is completely different now. But I think, again, it takes time. When you change your time and you change the channel that you're on, it takes a while. You would think, how would you not know? It's not on TNT. It's on TBS. Or it's not Friday down at 8. It's now Friday down at 10 or whatever. How do you not know that? But the ratings reflect that it takes time for those people to find their way. <laughs> you know, it's two channels down or it's it's six channels down or whatever. On my Hulu, it's one right above the other. It, how do you not see it? So it, it is what it is, but it's always been that way. Um, you would think the Monday Night Wars were won when Mike Tyson came over uh, and did that appearance in Fresno, California. But that wasn't the case. But that was one of the catalysts that led more people to watching it. Uh, so it takes time. Give it, give it six months. Give it a year. And we'll see where things are. And I have a feeling that um, some of this us versus them will stop. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. So let's get some rapid fire questions um, from some of my friends over on the Internet. First of all, I have a hello from Gray Wolf Raventhorn. He told me to. Uh, hello, Gray Wolf. <laughs> and then my friend uh, Chris wanted to know, and I think I know the answer to this one already, is uh, what is your go to Japanese food while in Japan? McDonald's. Actually, I was about to say, like I, I, I did my homework, and I remember hearing in something else that you didn't do Japanese food, and that's why I added the Japanese in there. But it's hamburgers. I love a uh, again. It's just a quick go to. Uh, in terms of Japanese food, can't go wrong with an onigiri, which is a uh, seaweed wrapped rice ball with. Uh, usually, I get tuna mayo, so that's always good. Um, love uh, pepper lunch, which is, you know, a simple stir fry. Um, which you owe one to Chase Owens, from what I understand. Yeah. Supposedly. And then he, he goes and gets steak and lobster <laughs> and then, and takes a picture of it and sends it to me. This is after he missed lunch. So I, I called him. He didn't answer. I knocked on his door. He didn't answer. He was asleep. So then he send, he goes out and gets steak and lobster and says, you could just pay me the money for this. I'm like, go to her. I mean, First of all, you were 0-4. You win one miracle match against Tadahashi. You get freaking pepper lunch. And you I, even said it. I, I still Thank can't you. even believe he won that match. That That's the sleeper shock of the, the G1 so far. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest upsets of all time. Uh, remember a few years ago, Juice rolled up Kenny. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I think this this maybe exceeds that because Juice just hadn't gotten the win yet, I think, but people liked it. Eh, I mean, it's pretty close. Um, Chase has, hasn't had standout moments or opportunities, so now he's getting them. And um, he he wrestled a perfect match. He, he did great. It's so um, Japanese food, it's pretty much I'll try anything. And a lot of times I don't know what it is, but um, like, I can't even say it. Okonomiyaki, 
uh, is a big thing here in this region of the country, which is sort of like a cabbage omelet with a lot of a lot of vegetables in it, and it has a a brown sauce on top of it that's quite good, but it's messy. <laughs> it sounds delicious. Um, my friend Aliens for Humans wants to know if you could impart some wisdom to a young Kevin Kelly, what would you tell him? I I didn't hear I didn't understand the oh. question from Aliens and if Humans. You, if you could impart some wisdom to a young Kevin Kelly, what would you tell him? Ooh. Listen to your wife more. Uh, save your money. Um, don't drink. And everything's going to work out all right. Don't stress out. That's a good one. <laughs> so our one of our other contributors here and, on Radio and, Tech. Uh, but Wi-Fi in Japanese and, and Wi-Fi in Japanese hotels is crappy. So I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. Um, one of our co-contributors here at Radio Techers, Sai, he wants to know any advice or tips when it comes to doing commentary. Uh, I've started doing a series on uh, the WrestleLife.com where it started off as like an extension of the promo classes I was doing at seminars, but once COVID hit, couldn't go to schools anymore. So we started recording some and putting them up there. And then I was I was like, OK, I know that announcers need some guidance, too. So let me see if I can help them. And I think um, the biggest thing is. Remember that it's television and not radio, so don't call the obvious all the time. Avoid the cliches. Everybody can do. I used to say this bring announcers all the time. Everybody can do a Howard Finkel impression. But if. If Ori the Draw was the ring announcer, do an impression of you. So find your own sound, find your own style. Don't be a Jim Ross or a, a Lance Russell or a Vince McMahon or a Kevin Kelly. Be you and come up with your own voice. Uh, put everybody over. That's your only job. Don't put yourself over. And if you realize that, then the wrestlers will like you. And they will trust you and you will be able to get a lot more from them to help you tell their story. That's awesome advice. And now I'm considering if I should be ring announcing for some reason. Um, <laughs> so last qu couple of questions, my friend Conrad Cushman wants to know what's the biggest mistake you see commentary making that takes away from the commentary position. Announcers putting themselves over and to the sacrifice and to the detriment of the product, whether it's cool catchphrases or uh, little stuff, uh, all of my stuff that I do on the regular is built around character development of getting the finishes over of getting certain aspects of their personality over, but never to get me over. Uh, and as a result, I've gotten over because of it. Don't try to be cute. Don't try to be witty. Don't try to be too cool for school. Um, understand that the audience wants you to narrate this match. They don't give 
two craps about you. An announcer has never sold a ticket. Uh, but boy, an announcer can be a real turnoff that can hinder the growth of a product. Yeah, I, I found I was watching earlier um, Sonata versus Okada. And I, I was noticing like you don't really have like you have a catchphrase, but you don't. And it was like I've noticed when um, somebody goes for a move and they get out of it and it's the oh, no, like to me, that's the Kevin Kelly catchphrase. And it's great. I, I don't know why, but I love it. It's the oh, no reaction. Yeah, it's a genuine reaction, too, because I'm going along for the ride and they work so hard to get to that point, to get to that moment. Tanahashi on the top high fly. Oh, no. Oh, it's just devastating. So (laughs) that's uh, that's what I'm there for. You know, like, hey, look, it's Hanma. That's just funny. But. It's before the bell rings. It's during an entrance and it doesn't take away from anything. And I just try to sneak it in, which, um, and it, you know, it's Hanma. He's not fighting for the world title, but um, just be consistent and tell their stories. So the last thing, the last question I have for you is also from my friend uh, Conrad. He's wants to know who is a future talent that you would like to see get a bigger role as we head into 2022. Well, John Schuyler is breaking out and doing some things on Impact. Um, he is a star. I've watched, I haven't watched a lot of Impact, and I noticed the difference when John Schuyler was on that show. And he and I are friends, and I've worked with him before. But I was like, okay, how is he going to handle it, handle this environment? Is he going to look like a star? He looks like a star. He wrestles like a star. Um, he's, he's going to be a star. Um, I think in terms of new Japan, I would say, and this probably isn't going too far out on a limb, but I would say, I think El Desperado is going to have a breakout, you know, cause after the G one is the best of super junior tournament and he got so close last year. I think he's ready to break out, um, on strong, I, you know, while, Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors have gotten the lion's share, no pun intended, of <laughs> press from the Young Lions system. I think Alex Coughlin's improvement and development sets him up for tremendous future success. Uh, I still want to see Brody King on a regular basis. I, 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 I can't take my eyes off of him when I see him. He's such a beast of a man and is so intense whether he's speaking or talking same with J.R. Kratos he's another one that's like wow holy crap um and I would think that like if MJF doesn't own the entire wrestling industry in 20 years it's because he chose not to um I think he will I don't think he's going to be He'll be he'll wrestle for as long as he wants to, but I think one day he'll wind up running things. He's brilliant, and he's only twenty four or five now, so he's going to be amazing. Yeah, that's definitely some people to watch, and I know you have a bus to catch, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Thank you so much for being here. I could 
talk to you for hours and pick your brain and whatnot. And I would like to do it again sometime. Ori, I got a couple questions for you. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Did you sing and wake your husband up from his nap? I did not. I waited and and did it afterwards as I was trying to curl my hair. (laughs) Okay. Um, And the last is a statement more than a question. You're an awesome interviewer. And I would do your show on a more regular basis. All you need to do is ask. And don't ever be afraid to ask people for their time because you are a pro's pro. And it has been a great pleasure getting to meet you and getting to do this interview with you. I am humbled and so appreciative by that. And I have to credit you for some of that because in YouTube videos that I saw of your interviews, one of the main tips that you give for commentators is be prepared. And I honestly had about three Google Doc sheets worth of questions already typed out. (laughs) I've got, when I sit down at ringside, I've got like eight, eight pages of notes and I maybe use two or three. (laughs) <laughs> but that's I definitely, okay. Yeah, I think I maybe almost got halfway through all of them. So I'm I'm grateful. I'm I'm so excited. So well, thank you so much for joining us and catch a change in attitude on the Chairshot Radio Network on Monday evenings. You can also go to thechairshot.com, your home of sports entertainment and sports entertainment, and check out our daily shows there. Thank you so much, Kevin. You have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.